Does life feel like driving a race car? Sometimes you go powerfully straight, reaching new limits, taking every curve smoothly, avoiding obstacles, and other times you spin out of control, come to a halt, the car's barely moving. I've learned that race car drivers trust their car, their wheels, their focus, and their voice. I'm Sylvie Leger. Welcome to the Trust Your Voice podcast. This is your pit stop to fine-tune your engines and put air in four wheels that keep us on the road. Your family of close relationships, your faith, your enterprise to live well, and your engagement in the community where you live. Welcome to the show. It's my pleasure today to welcome Beth Feely to the Trust Your Voice podcast. Our focus with Beth is community engagement and impact. I've known Beth for a really long time. She loves her community and fully engages to keep it a great place to live and raise a family. So Beth's career has been in communication strategy, and she co-founded and leads today Nutri Your Neighbors, which is a nonprofit that promotes common sense policies in local government, specifically in our school district. She's also the senior advisor at the Woodson Center, which is a community empowerment and organization. And Beth served as the launch director for the Woodson Center's 1776 Unites initiative. And she currently oversees its scholar network and a high school curriculum offerings. She's also a freelance writer and editor whose work has been published in National Review, The Federalist, Chicago Tribune. And Beth now co-hosts the podcast, Take Back Our Schools with Andrew Gutman, which I invite you to tune in. I have to add that Beth is a founding member of the Policy Circle. She was the spark that got me to actually start the organization in our neighborhood. And today it is a national organization with thousands of members and circle leaders. So welcome, Beth, to the Trust Your Voice podcast. Thank you for having me. And I just have to say it is just so marvelous to see, you know, how this has evolved and matured into the organization it is, uh, the Policy Circle. So I'm really pleased to be here. I know the Policy Circle for our listeners, you can learn more about it. It's thepolicycircle.org. Beth and I really started this in our hometown in Wilmette, Illinois. And I will always remember, Beth, when you said, well, let's just get people together and from around the neighborhood. And so we can know each other and discuss, you know, the direction of the country. And here we are six years later, it's a national organization with thousands of members and really bringing people together. So it's, it's exciting. And then we have a podcast. Yes, yes, we do. No, it really was. I think we met at the time, an unmet need in the community. And I think that that same need was in communities across the country. And so I just think we tapped into something and, you know, kind of piloted that idea. And then, as you said, here we are six years later. So yeah, it's been been fun to see it, to be a part of it from the beginning, but just to see it reach its potential. So the way it worked and actually the way we, we did it is, you know, we brought together like three or four women and each of us invited another three or four that were thoughtful women who just wanted to discuss and kind of understand policymaking, not only in the country, in our state, and also just locally. And uh, we just wanted to engage people in a constructive discussion. And as we were doing this week, I quickly realized these discussions needs to be based on some facts. They need to be informed and we need to have some reliable source of information. So we're talking about the same things. That's when we decided, okay, we need to have these policy briefs. I felt I can't just rely on a policy experts to edit, write these briefs because it becomes a white paper. It get, becomes a policy position. 
wanted someone who was who could make it readable by the everyday person, who captures why do I need to know this, and gave people the language to discuss and understand uh, issues. So I asked Beth to really be the first editor of the Policy Circle, and you're the one who worked really closely with policy experts. So Beth, which Policy Circle brief you feel had impacted you the most? So I would have to say, if I could choose, and if it's okay too, definitely the brief on poverty made a huge impact on me. That was a topic that I knew something about, but I really felt like working on that policy brief opened my eyes to so many solutions that just were not in regular discourse on the topic. And then of course, education, I think being a mother of, you know, three children, you know, we, we moved to our area for the schools. And so that one just was, was of huge interest. And I think, you know, for a lot of the parents, grandparents, you know, or grandparents in our, in our groups, I think that one was, was also really popular. And so also, you know, for me. Yeah. And this is when also after, you know, as part of these discussion around these briefs, that's where you decided to challenge the school boards and you really co-founded and, and now you run a community organization that's called Nutray Your Neighbors. And the organization is a C3, which means it's a nonprofit organization and it's committed to education to the general public. And there's also a C4, which allows the organization to do some advocacy work. So tell us about like, what's the mission of Nutray Your Neighbor? So it is, it is, as you said, a community organization. The mission, as we say, is to build community around these ideas of common sense and free enterprise and the golden rule. And by that, we mean at a really local level, we want to make sure that we've got academically rigorous, high-quality schools that value intellectual diversity. We want to see common sense local government and management of resources. We want to see an entrepreneurial small business climate, you know, which really those are the engine of a, of a village, of a, of a small city. And then we also want to see civil discourse amongst our neighbors. So it stemmed from a controversy that was at our school. And we carried that parent group that formed to address that controversy. We carried over into Nutra Neighbors. And interestingly, we began the organization as a C4 and then actually realized that most of what we were doing was the C3, which was really education. So it's been very interesting to see it grow. There was no organization exactly like this at the time. So it's been a lot of you know learning on the fly, but sometimes I think that's the best way. And so it's been really, I think, fruitful and a good way to, I guess, like help people get engaged. I think that was one of the things that was so apparent is that, you know, and it's also similar to the policy circle. A lot of people were not terribly engaged at what was happening in their neighborhoods. And so we wanted to have a place where people could could plug in and do that. And so that's what we do. Yeah, it's kind of with the policy circle, our goal is to kind of get you to actually you have a language to interact with your representative in office. You show up at the school board meeting before. I mean, I've had kids, three kids in the schools, and I had never gone to a school board meeting. I did not fully understand how it functioned. And then you want to do this action. I think Nutray Your Neighbors is kind of the next step. It's like, okay, we are going to bring people together to really be the watchdog of our representatives, to engage, to have a forum where people can discuss ideas instead of just the official channels that are the town hall meetings or the school board meetings and really decide what is important 
to us and to advocate for. So it's a real grassroots organizations and it's all volunteers, right? Just share with us a little bit like the structure and, and the volunteers. And, and also you, you have a really large, now a large list of people who follow what Nutray Your Neighbors publishes. Sure. So yes, it is grassroots. It is all volunteer run. And so we have, you know, a website, a mailing list, you know, a couple of things like that, that help us keep running as an organization. But we primarily produce e-blast newsletters and maintain information on a website just to help educate. And then we also run special events from time to time and occasionally issue campaigns. And so any of the work that goes into producing those is all volunteer. And the group itself, it's been interesting to see just kind of people come out. I think that, you know, I think like many of us, you know, we thought everything was going just fine. And, you know, a lot of people move here because this is a great place to live and it is a great place to live. You know, the schools are good. But I think what we realized was that there were, you know, really it was kind of like an outsized voice that seemed to be being heard when decisions were getting made with what curriculum was in the schools, with policies and local government, you know, the school tax levy, a minimum wage law. And it was kind of incumbent upon us, people who had, you know, different ideas or ideas that needed to be shared in those forums um, to show up. And so that's one of the things we've tried to do is to equip people with information so they can show up and also just connect. I think that really civic engagement. And I also actually really enjoy our civic engagement brief as well. But, you know, in that, you know, we we learned that a lot of the kind of the social fabric and the um, spirit of civic engagement has waned somewhat over the years. And so I also see Nutra Neighbors is kind of an avenue for improving that, you know, within our local community. And yeah, so it's a labor of love. Um, we have a board, wonderful board of people from up and down the North Shore. And how many volunteers, how many like really active volunteers? Because it takes work and time to, uh, and different skill set, right? To organize events, to publish a newsletter and to write the content, to attend some of the meetings. So you have like, you know, you could share information. So how many, if I were to start a new trainer neighbor and my, and another, someone, our listeners would want to do that in their community, how many active volunteers would they need to bring together? You need a core group, and I'm just going to put a number out there of, you know, four or five that are really going to agree to do a lot of the heavy lifting of doing writing, of, you know, creating the Eventbrite invitation. Like, and so it's not a large group, but you do need to have people. Certainly, I would not recommend doing it on your own. It's just too much to take on. But that kind of core group can really accomplish a lot. And then beyond that, I think we have a mailing list of 2000 people now. So, you know, and it really varies like how many people that we get at events. We've had anywhere from 25 to 100 people at an event. We have, you know, anywhere from four to 15 people show up at a school board meeting. So it just really varies. Um, I'm not sure that there's a real rule of thumb. Um, I think the key is keeping people, I think you need to communicate regularly. You know, I think an ad hoc, we'll just send something when there's something relevant. I'm not sure that's as effective as trying to be fairly disciplined with trying to get something out either every week or every other week. Generally, there's enough content to fill that. And then things like the events, that was obviously, we had to switch gears when COVID came around. So we try to do you know several events throughout the year, and those vary by topic. So 
I think that that's one thing that you do just to make sure people know that you, you know, you are around that you're paying attention. Interestingly, you know, at first, you know, we were sending out information kind of as it came to us and, you know, just really that, that were things that were happening, you know, in our kids' classrooms and things. Now people send us information because I think we've developed a presence. You know, that's wonderful. I think that's how that this really should work so that you're, you're kind of becoming a known quantity and people know that you're a reliable source. You know, we follow journalistic integrity in everything that we produce. It is all fact-based and we will weigh in with opinions that would be very consistent with kind of what we state, uh, you know, our values are, you know, you can check out our about page, but, you know, I like to say that we don't print anything or write anything that we wouldn't say to somebody, you know, if we were in a room with them, you know, so I think that that's important. Hi, Sylvie here. Are you ready to trust your voice? I've got something just for you. Get your copy of my newest book, Trust Your Voice. In the book, I give you big ideas, practical steps to gaining confidence so that you can take on new challenges in your life and trust your instincts and your own voice. You can find it on Amazon.com and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and Instagram if you have questions, feedback about the book or this show. Now let's get back to the episode. So you need about like five volunteers. You need to kind of commit to publishing something regularly, commit to hosting some events because that's how you become known in the neighborhood. Your goal is to really increase your, your mailing list and then participation to different events. And then are the events also used to fund some of the, cause it costs something to have a website, have the mailing list, et cetera. Not everything is free. So are the events really how you also, you use those as Fundraisers and the events are generally uh, gatherings with a speaker, right? Or a journalist or something that's local or national, someone who would be of national recognition. Yes, they are. And, you know, we try to make it the topics relevant to the extent that we can, you know, issues that people are hearing about in the news or, you know, new books that are coming out. So to answer your funding question, you know, small donations. And that's how it should be. You know, I think that that is, you know, the budget does not have to be big. We don't have a big budget. We really do because we rely on volunteers. You know, we mostly it's paying for, you know, a website, email service, things like that, you know, webinar. We do, you know, do minimal fundraising. Usually, you know, if we're, if we're charging for an event, it's generally to cover the costs of the event. So this is grassroots. And so I think that the whole spirit of this is getting together, you know, in, in our community, you know, we try to host things at local places. We try to, you know, do whatever we can to promote local businesses as we are running events or, or looking at things that are happening. So that in terms of the funding, you know, we want to cover our costs. We are, as far as, you know, how we do things, you know, running events, things like that, as I said, you know, we just try to keep it really local. You know, it is a hype, it is a hyper local group. And so it, that's kind of our universe. Who decides what issues to take on or what to cover? Like, how do you decide? Do you divide and conquer in a way? Like, do you decide to say, okay, we're going to attend only like village board meeting and the school board meeting and, and we'll not go to library board meetings or park districts? How do you decide what to cover? So, you know, I suppose you could say we've got like a bit of an editorial board, if you will. It's really kind of us seeing what's happening, um, what issue has come across the transom that we think deserves attention. And sometimes it's led by people who come to us with issues. 
often we will say, you know, if somebody comes to us with an issue, our question is great, you know, we'll support you, but definitely the person to whom this is important, really, you would think would be interested in being active and kind of like following it. And we've definitely found that to be the case. What people are mostly interested in what's happening with schools. I think that, you know, a large part of what our property taxes go to is to fund our schools. So even if people don't have children currently in the school district, they know that having you know, healthy public schools and well-regarded public schools is really important to the health of the community overall. Therefore, we really have had an awful lot of focus on the schools. And that's so we've just really learned that over time. Some of the other issues that we have covered, you know, I think property taxes, I think people, you know, they are fairly high around here. And so I think people, you know, they pay attention to those. And so that also has been probably uh, one of the more popular areas as well. One of our board members also, he is a part of a group called WirePoints, the president of wirepoints.org. And so that has been also helpful because that's a lot of, they do a lot of very good, interesting research. And so we are able to also, you know, cover financial issues as well. That's going on in the state, right? That's going on in the state or like in the Chicago area. And I think that that organization is similarly focused where it's, you know, focused on facts, focused on data, and just tries to see some common sense things happen here in the local area as well as the state. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because if you establish a neighborhood organization like that, it's always good to research, okay, who are all the other, the other influencers in your state that are fact-based, that look for uh, fiscal responsibility and governance, responsible governance. So those are good organizations to look for because then you could share information and research on what they're doing. Beth, tell us if a group of people want to start a group like Nutrier Neighbors and Elkhorn Neighbors, for instance, where do they start? What would be a good way to rally people around something to start? Well, I think I'd look back at how we started, which was really this you know, campaign, if you will, around something that was happening at the local high school. At the time, it was this day of racial conversations called Seminar Day. And we organized a group you know, we formed a committee, we did a petition. So I think a campaign is a good place to start. And if you wanted to do those, something that would be kind of a positive thing to rally around versus needing to address a controversy, something that we helped get passed at Nutrier and has been something that people have reacted really positively to would be to pass something like a Chicago statement, but for your high school that would ensure free speech, a commitment to developing, you know, critical thinking And I think that that could be something that, you know, a neighborhood group that wanted to form, you know, to try to get something passed like that at their local high school would be wonderful. So, you know, we passed this statement, well, technically the Nutra School Board passed this statement as how it worked. We had proposed a version, they went back and workshop it, and then they ended up passing it. And it's a really good statement. You know, shall I read it just so that the listeners can hear it? Yeah, I think that'd be great. You should read it. And then we'll have in the show notes, we'll have a link to your website where you have that statement that people can can use to suggest to their schools. Sure. That sounds great. So it's titled Critical Thinking and Civil Discourse Statement. And it reads like this. Nutra Township High School believes that a fundamental aspect of our mission is to develop critical thinkers who can navigate a complex world through civil discourse, respectful inquiry, engaged listening, and open consideration of multiple perspectives. 
Key to fulfilling this charge is the cultivation of a school environment in which all students feel welcome and free to explore a wide range of ideas. Our firm commitment to this principle reflects not only Nutria's obligation to prepare our students for their futures, but our belief that the open exchange of ideas lies at the core of a democratic society in which individuals are accountable for their actions and treat one another with dignity, compassion, and respect. So, you know, this is a statement, I think it says a lot about valuing multiple perspectives, but doing so in a respectful manner. And and actually, if you do go to our website, we have this listed with some steps that people can go through in order to do this. And I would say, you know, first, just gather a group who's very passionate about this and then figure out, okay, what's the case for passing this? You know, are you seeing issues at your school? Is it something that you'd just like to do because it sounds like a really strong and healthy statement to have as a part of the school and kind of within its, you know, mission and vision and how it wants the school to operate? And then you go through the process of, of drafting it, gaining some you know, momentum behind it, and then actually proposing it at the school. And then you know, hopefully, ideally, the school sees the value in it and they propose it. And then it's a matter of getting word out. And it really becomes kind of a standard for the school to operate against. So anyway, so I think, I think a campaign like this probably would attract a lot of people because this is, you know, any school that adopts something like this, it is a positive. They're going to be healthy, you know, in terms of how things are run in the classroom. You can incorporate some of the ideas into this, into teacher evaluation, into student welcome packets. You know, there's a lot of potential. Because it really captures the core values of a public school or or even a private school, the core values under which they operate. And like you said, under which decisions can be made against which curriculum can be adopted, how teachers are interacting with students. It, It really becomes something that everyone in the school, in this community can go back to, to evaluate and make decisions. So it's a really great statement. And I think it was, you said, it was from the University of Chicago, right? That adopted it many years ago. I remember that several years ago. And this was adapted for a more like a high school environment. And I'll just mention, we have had parents tell us that they have actually, if they've seen issues in their children's classrooms, that they have used this as a uh, measuring stick, if you will, saying, you passed this at this board meeting. I don't think what I'm seeing in the class is measuring up to this. You know, how are we going to address it? So it's really great to have this as a standard against which you can run up assignments that your kids are getting in the way that the school is being run and that they're telling its teachers how to run things in the classroom. It also sets, I think, a good expectation for students. I think students need to know that they should be given a classroom where this type of statement is alive. Well, I mean, thank you so much for sharing. It's kind of fascinating to kind of go back and connect the dots, how, you know, within the policy circle conversations, you found allies, you find other, you found other women who were interested in starting something new and you trusted your own voice to step into this new experience and to build something that's really bigger than you. So I want to congratulate you from doing that. And maybe in closing, if you want to share, you know, some lessons learned and maybe a tip for people who are tempted to step into this new experience and leading and leaning into their community, maybe have a word, a few or two of advice for those of us. Absolutely. And I really do need to credit the policy circle with really giving me that confidence. I'm kind of one of those, a poster child for that 
once you get used to kind of talking about things that are important to you, you not only get over any hesitancy or shyness or whatever, which I definitely had. And then you kind of get to the point where you just like, you're, you're almost seeking opportunities where you can, you can weigh in where you think you can make a difference. So that whole confidence building thing, it absolutely is true. So words of advice, definitely get, get that core group. I think it's really important to have just a group of people that you can bounce ideas off of, especially if you're going to take on thorny issues. I think it's something where you just want to, you know, get some perspectives that that's really helpful. Another word of advice would be to, I think, have faith in yourself. I think a lot of us, you're worried about, you know, oh, this is going to reflect poorly on me or, oh, they're going to take this out of my kids. And I just would really encourage people to say, you know what, not only have faith in yourself, but have faith that maybe people can be a little stretched by some of the things that you have to say to them. It may be, you know, sure, it may be a little difficult, but honestly, if you do it in a professional way with good intentions, I honestly think that it is, we need more of that, not less. And so I very much remember what it was like to perhaps kind of self-filter because I thought, I don't want to offend people. I don't want to do X, Y, Z. And I really have realized that actually, I think you're doing more good when you speak openly, honestly, respectfully with people about issues. I honestly think that's how we advance things. And so I would just encourage people just to push a little bit out of your comfort zone in that way. And then third, do your homework. I do think that this requires a lot of reading and you know, staying informed about what is going on. It doesn't mean that you have to be on Twitter all day, you know, making sure you know the latest, but I do think making an effort to be informed and not only informed, you know, from sources that you like, but also from some from the opposition, quote unquote, because I think then you're better on, you're better able to make your arguments when you understand those being made from the other side. And so I think that is something that people maybe don't do enough of. And I, I try to do what I can, because again, it does take some time, but I do think it's, it's worth that investment. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. So find allies, trust yourself, trust your voice, have faith in yourself that it's good to stretch other people and then be informed and be informed to get a real 360 on, on the issues so you can you can be prepared to react to whatever is brought your way. So thank you so much, Beth, for this conversation. I think it's really helpful. And thanks for walking us through you know how you established a neighborhood organization to have an influence. So thank you. It's a big step in the roadmap to influence. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me, Sylvie Legere, on my podcast, Trust Your Voice. I hope that this episode brought you a new way to think about your voice, how to trust yourself, how to use your voice for the good in your life and in your community. If you like the podcast, be sure to leave us a review in Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. À bientôt.